Welcome back to the Abstract Podcast. It is Friday, October the 30th, and you are listening to episode 8. This morning, I got to sit down and have a conversation with Dr. Seth Herringer via Zoom. And we talked about what it looks like for Christians to faithfully engage politics. What does it mean for us to go to the voting booth and vote well? Or should we be voting at all? What does it look like for us to identify and evaluate candidates that we can support? So this is a really good conversation with Dr. Herringer. Um, Mentioned in the podcast is this conversation that happened between David French and Eric Metaxas. I would really encourage you guys to check out that conversation. Um, If you just search for debate between David French and Eric Metaxas, I'm sure you'll find it. It's also available on the Unbelievable podcast, which is hosted by Justin Brierley. That is a really good conversation that I really would recommend for you guys. Everyone who order coffee mugs, good news. They are coming soon. They're in the mail and they should be getting delivered today. So hopefully we'll be able to get those to you guys really soon to everyone who ordered them. Also, just want to encourage you. Um, Thanks for listening. Thanks for engaging in these discussions with us. The next time we come at you guys next week um, with another episode, we will hopefully, fingers crossed, know who the next president of the United States will be. And um, that is no small thing, but it is it is not the biggest thing. Um, We trust that whoever gets elected or even if we don't even know yet, um, our faith is still secure. Um, Our lives Our lives are still based on on our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we look forward to coming back to you guys next week, regardless of where the nation stands, regardless of who is the commander in chief. Um, We look forward to coming back to you guys, having another conversation and continuing to engage with these ideas, with our culture, with our surroundings in, uh, in the best way that we know how to. That said, hope you enjoy my conversation with Dr. Seth Herringer, who is a professor and teacher here at Tacoa Falls College. Dr. Herringer, thanks for being on with me this morning. Um, if you would, just start by introducing yourself, give a little context to our listeners. Thanks for having me here, Javen. I'm, I'm Dr. Seth Herringer. Um, Assistant Professor of Bible and Theology at Tacoa Falls College, and I've had you a few times in class, so it's yeah. been f- fun to do this with you. Yeah, I'm actually, good. I'm a returner, right? This is my second time on the, on the right. podcast. So you I, might be one of the first people to ever be on twice. Wow. I am honored. <laughs> yeah, and it's a little weird because I'm sitting down here in the basement of Forest Hall, and you're sitting up there in Earl Hall, and for some reason we're Zooming. But you know, <laughs> Well, for a good COVID, reason, probably, right? right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, I recently seen that you had been reading this article that John Piper published and and talking a little bit about that. I'm interested to hear, could you just outline for me, what's your approach as a Christian to political engagement? And we're in election season, so especially in regard to election. Yeah. um, I mean, I'm just, so off the bat here, I'm not a political theologian. It's actually a place I feel like I would like to do some more work in. So this is me, um, you know, trying to struggle along with other Christians and be like, man, you know, there, there are theologians who do this full time, right? Who think about the relationship of the, the, the religious life to the civic life, to the public life and, you know, how those interact. And this also gets into problems of, you know, ethics, like, 
you know, ethics of omission and ethics of commission and, you know, and how your, um, you know, the ethics of voting, are you voting for every aspect of a person's policy or just one part of it? Or do you mean, so there's a lot there that needs to be, um, or that could be explored in some really depth, which we're yeah, and I want to well, yeah, I want to ask you about about that responsibility part a bit later, but please yeah. continue. Right, and so it's hard to get into all that today, right? Um, and and these are sort of my you know beginning room, you know thoughts on this um, of as someone who's not a political theologian, but I still think I've got you know I think I think that there are things that we can say as you know Christians about how to think through these things, and I would say. You know, when you asked me about that, the Piper article and sort of my thoughts of thinking, I've been recently sort of coming to some, you know, some some preliminary conclusions about ways that I think I want to think about voting in the future. And for this election, um, one would be that a candidate should pass sort of two tests for to get to get my vote, to get a Christian vote. Yes. And I, I want to hear what those are. Yeah. And these are, and, and again, I mean, these aren't, and these aren't hard and fast, and they're always done in prayerful thought, right? But just as if you have to come up with something to think through, right? You have to have some sort of principles. It can't just be like, what do I feel like today? You know? Well, I mean, just, in, yeah. in a sense you do, but in a sense, a lot of people I think don't. It's just about picking the better of the two options. And so I don't think those are the, the same thing at all, actually. Sure. Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, that's a good point. Um, so I do not think is the best. I don't think we have to just pick the the best of two bad options. I'll just say that. And we can, let, let's get back to that. Let me yeah. get my two principles and we'll talk about that. Um, my first principle is that, you know, there are, that you may, Christians may come up with some baseline core political convictions that they just are not going to move on. Or at least if they're going to move on it, it has to be the most extreme of circumstances, right? You're literally voting for Mussolini, you know, you're voting for Stalin or you're voting for this person who is pro-abortion. You mean or something like that? Right. Like, you, like, you know, you have you have to have some deep-seated convictions and those are probably going to differ for every Christian. But like, let me just, just so I'm clear what we're talking about, like, let me name some possible ones. Uh, well, I already said one, abortion, right? Yeah. Would, be, would be one that you maybe could say like, man, that is a, a conviction that I hold so deep-seatedly that for me to move on that, I would have to think either America was going to collapse you know, if if I, if this other person were to get elected, or that some other horrible event would or could happen, that would cost more lives. And again, ethically, you know, I don't know that voting is like weighing up the loss of life. You know, I mean, I mean, I think that's a part of it, but you know, that's something to think about is you know, like, it, do I just vote for the person who kills the least amount of people? I I don't know, but you know, so I think that would be a possible one. Possible sort of core conviction would be abortion. One could be based on Luke and you, I mean, we've talked about this, Javen, you know, Luke and other things. One could be the treatment of the poor, right? That is a major theme in the New Testament and the Old Testament, right? How do we treat the orphans and the widows and those in prison? These are the people that God seems to have a preference for in the Bible, yeah. and his heart is with them in deep-seated ways, and that Christians should at least in my opinion, should in deep-seated ways and our core convictions should be interested in in those populations. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, like you said, there's there's any number of different um, criteria that you can place in that top category. Like, if you are not standing with me on this, I will not stand with you and vote for you. But, like, do you have those for you that you say, these are my things? And are you willing to say them? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, so, I mean, I think I've, I've said two that are very important to me, right? And again, 
I don't know if I would never vote against someone with these, you know what I mean? But I would just say like, as, as a Christian, these are my core convictions that I'm going to, it's going to take a lot. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, like I said, Mussolini versus, you know what I mean? <laughs> For, right. We're right. going to have World War three versus, or, you know, something like that. It would take a lot to move me from these. So I mean, I think abortion would be one. I think, I think care for the poor would be when this gets complicated now, because as a Christian, you know, this, you, you can't end up in places where, like I was telling my wife last night, you know, I was like, man, I don't know if I'll, if, I don't know if I'll ever be able to vote for a person again. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay. So because you have, you can have these convictions that are like, no party is going to align up with them. And I think that's a trial, a challenge, right? Yeah. And if Matthew was here, he would be telling us a lot more about that because yeah. you know, people, and rightfully so, like you just said, like to point to abortion as this is an issue that I will never move from. Yeah. So I can never vote for someone who is pro-abortion. Yeah. But I think where the rubber kind of meets the road is like, well, like you said, do I just vote for the candidate who's going to kill the least amount of people? Because there's a pretty good argument to be made, I think, that who's in the presidential office has no bearing on the number of babies that are getting killed. I mean, there's there's sure. statistics that actually show, and it's, I don't know why, but there are more abortions when Republicans are in office than Democrats. Sure. And it's certainly not because Democrats are making legislation that are, you know, limiting abortions in any way. So, I mean, I think at some point you have to ask, yes, I'm, I'm pro-life, but I mean, what, what does it mean? And how much does it actually impact the argument if I vote for a president who isn't? But so then you might, also, you might also consider overseas policies. I mean, yeah. if this guy's big pro-military, Yes. How many people is he going to kill in Syria or, you know right. what I mean? So, so Javen, let's, I, I, cause we're like about three layers down. Now. I want to, I want to back up to, 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 to like, you know, put a bow on the first layer and then let's move down to this abortion question. Yeah, second, of course. Okay? Um, so, you know, step one would be, um, so I said principle one would be policies, core policies that, that are, that we have to, Christians have to think seriously about. I think those are, I think that's a real thing. Uh, how are the each individual policy is going to be different and how that comes out is going to be different. The second one is, and this is matters for me in this election in particular, is a character test. Um, and I think that Christians need to, let me say this differently. Uh, I, don't, I don't necessarily, well, I'm going to say things like Christians need to in this, in, the, in this, right. uh, even, some of this is just my colloquialisms, like trying to encourage people. So don't, I don't actually mean Christians need to, and it's not a, not a Christian, faith, right? right? Yeah. I just, so have a little people who are listening, have a little grace in some of my language sometimes. <laughs> I'm not trying to be so hard nosed on this, even though maybe it comes off that way sometimes. Um, I think Christians should think about um, a character test in saying, um, you know, is this person at sort of a base level, a, a person that is, that meets and that meets a, a base level character test, and they don't have to be, you know, Mother Teresa, uh, but they but they should not be um, a person that you are ashamed of, right? And their in their character, even apart from their policies, that you're just ashamed of, of them as a person. Uh, and so, you know, I've often heard, you know, I've read a lot of of you know pro Trump articles this semester or this year, you know, trying to think through what I'm going to do and. A lot of them are like, you're voting for a president, not a pastor. You're voting for a president, not a pastor, right? You mean, or, or not a, not a, uh, yeah. And so, I mean, you're voting for his policies. You're not voting for his character. Right? I've heard that over and over. And so I think that that John Piper article was helpful for me. And, I, you know, I, to sort of cement some of the things that I've been thinking about was that, 
you know, that that yes, we are voting for a president, but the pre- but the culture matters, and that um, so this is my second test is that is that I think that Christians too easily rely upon policy and not culture. And that uh, I think that it's a very, it's a losing battle long-term and, it, and it's like a really losing battle. I don't think it's just like, a, it's like, oh, I'm not sure. It's like, we, like it's, it's a decisively lost battle if Christians hand culture over to, um, you know, non-Christians to, to, to worldly ways of thinking. Yeah. And, and, and I think that that will have deadly consequences down the line uh, for lots of reasons. So like I was just reading Romans one this morning as I was trying to think through you know, I'm still like, I'm still thinking, I was still thinking about voting this morning, right? Like, man, I don't know what to do. And I was just reading it through and, you know, I was, I was listening to a, I don't recommend this necessarily, but I was, I was, I was listening to just because I'm, I'm, I was, I'm trying to go very broad on my spectrum of, you know, readings here. So I was listening to a guy talking about John MacArthur, right? And his, in his, um, in his reading. And I, I don't necessarily recommend that, but he's <laughs> right. Um, and so his, uh, um, you know, he had said, like, we have you have to vote for Donald Trump. Like, basically, you have to because he's pro-life, religious freedom, LGBTQA agenda, and so socialism and Marxism. You know, he the Democrats are socialist and Marxist. Yeah. And I mean, I was what could be through, worse than all those things? And I was reading through, you know, Romans 1. And and because he went to Romans 1 and he was like, you know, those Democrats, they love the gays. Is basically what he was saying. You know what I mean? And I was like, geez, you know, like, so, so well, that, John, you know? <laughs> and he was like, and he was like, he was just coming up really bad. I mean, not really bad. He was coming out really strong that this is the sin that Christians need to, like, we need to die on that hill, right? Like, yeah, we need to die absolutely. on the hill of LGBTQ issues. And that is the only one that matters. And I read through Romans 1, and he was right, right? Like, Romans 1 is there, and it says, you know, they exchange the glory of the moral God for images. So, first of all, idolatry is also in there, right? That's even before the LGBTQ stuff. Um, and so, idolatry is there, and then God goes to the lust of their hearts, and they exchange the truth of God for a lie, and they, you know, then it gets into the um, same sex stuff in there, but then below that, right, right below that, there's a lot more listed there, and so he, which he never talked about. They were filled with all manners of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. Uh, hmm, like, have we heard of malice in this election at all? They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanderers. Insolent, haughty, haters of God, boastful, inventors of evil, right? Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. And as I think through that list, you know what I mean? And, I, and I'm trying to weigh up candidates. Like, like that list has a lot more than just LGBTQ issues in it. Do you right? No, that's... there's culture stuff in there. Like, really, and it says, um, you know, though they know God's dec- righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, not only do they give approval to those such things who practice them all. So there's this, there's a deep cultural discussion going on in Romans 1 that goes far beyond LGBTQ issues, right? Um, and those are like, those are real issues. But for Christians and like John MacArthur to be like, that's the only one that matters is to ignore the whole other list here, right? Of things that happen when the world goes, of the things that lead to death, basically. And so I think what John Piper's article was, and what I think is right in my character test now, is that to have a leader of the of our country that is doing most, if not almost all of those, sort of unrepentantly, unabashedly, and unreservedly, I think is destructive to a culture and it leads to death. And I think Piper's argument was, how are we so sure that abortion 
and LGBTQ issues are going to lead to more death than the rest of those. And I think that's a pretty good argument. You know I mean, and, and I think that Chris doesn't need to think sort of about that is that to lose a cultural battle, to lose our w- cultural witness for the sake of judges is a very short term, short eyed understanding of how culture works and how cultural wins are fought. And how, how cultural how we have cultural yeah. victories. Yeah, man, so much in there. Um, so I don't know if, if you've heard these people, but David French is another person. Yes. Um, that I really enjoy listening to. I think he has some really good things to say. And then I had seen recently Karen Swallow Pryor kind of wrote an article along the, the same thread of thought, but it's kind of this idea that, um, as, well, you said the very words, as Christians, we, we cannot lose our witness. Like, right, the evangelical voting block, if you want to call it that, is very mm-hmm. powerful. And basically we're just, if if we continue to do another 80% vote for Trump, we're throwing away our witness. Um yeah. Yeah, there was a just you, just hop on. The, there was sure. a really if anyone was listening. There was a really interesting debate between Eric Metaxas and David. Yeah. Did you look at that one? I had last, I would, yeah, I, would I would recommend to that last week. I would recommend everyone listening to this to go, you know, Google that debate and listen to the first twenty minutes of David French's argument. And and it was it was it's a it's a really. I mean, I just think Christians need to battle with that or think through that when before they vote in this election. Yeah, I've really appreciated French's voice in this thing, and I mean, I think if. Metaxas makes an argument for voting for Trump as well from a Christian, you know, mm-hmm. a Christian's perspective. So it's really cool to hear them go back and forth. But so from your perspective, Dr. Herringer, is it legitimate to say I will not vote for a candidate because of their their character when it looks like if the other side wins, you know, I mean, cultural Marxism, right? Like the it, it it seems like at the end of the day, a lot of people are saying, yeah, Trump isn't a great guy, but I mean, it's going to be worse if he doesn't get in. So I'm, I'm going to pick one. Yeah. And French, I, French is rejecting this. So is prior. And it sounds like you are too, but. So I think, I think this, I mean, this, this is where I've come down on, on sort of the issue of, can I, do I have to vote on every race? Um, you know, I would say, I would say this, uh, you do not have to pick between the worst of two evils. I mean, the best of two evils. Uh, because I think a protest vote is a, is a vote, is a marking down of your intention. Um, if the Republican Party, so like the, let's just let's just get real, right? Because we're, we're in we're in the elections right now. If the Republican Party um, sees Christians move significantly away from them because of a character issue, right, and they lose significantly, I think there would have to be an adjustment where they say, oh. Let's stop sending up people who are maybe, you know, who, who, who cannot pass base level character tests. And I, so I would think that a protest vote could be a vote for, hey, like if you keep sending up people like this, you will never win another election. And I think that can change in politics, right? I think that could be a strong vote for change in the political world. And so I don't think at all that a protest vote of not voting for a, a particular um, race is a wasted vote. I think it could be a very powerful signal if enough Christians do it to say, we refuse to participate in this sort of thing. And if you want us to participate again, change, like stop doing that. And uh, I think that's a real vote. Absolutely. it's It's been just um, amazing for me to to watch I mean I haven't been alive that long but but to watch the way that our 
our voting conscience has changed because of lead, like this relationship between how much does our taste affect who gets who gets put up there to vote for and how much does who's in office change our taste? Like they're just for this relationship and it's not, it's not one or the other, but these things are really affecting each other. And I just wonder what kind of candidates we're going to see after Donald Trump, whether he gets elected for another four years or not. Like these are the kind of candidates that I think 20 years ago, I mean, they wouldn't have even made it into the primaries. Right. I mean, tell me I'm right. I wasn't alive, but I mean, Biden would have, Biden would have made it into the primaries. You know, Biden is Biden. Uh, Donald Trump, I mean, four years ago, I don't think anyone thought Donald Trump would have a, you know, a snowball's chance in a very hot place, right, to, <laughs> to, uh, to win, but he did. Uh, and so I don't think we have any idea what the electorate will look like sure. a week from now, yeah. much less 20 years from now. I, I'm really interested in see what the sort of the, you know, even after the election, let's say because of the polling, and I, I, I'm not going to make predictions here, but like the polling seems like Biden's going to win pretty handily, right? Um, again, I'm not. That's not a prediction. That's just let's just say the polls are right. You know, maybe they're wrong, but let's just say they're right. I think it's really interesting to see what the Republican Party does in the next, you know, the week afterwards and the yeah. month afterwards, and you know, what sort of the state of the 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 Republican world is. Is are they going to? Is you know, is, are we going to have Don Jr. next on the next four years, or are we going to have? Um, in four years, or are we going to have someone like Rubio, or is it going to be? I don't just. I just think it's interesting to see what sort of you know. There's some paths forward, a path or a back to maybe more Reagan stuff, a path to more populist Trump stuff, or maybe some other path which is a mix of, you know, family-based popularism, higher taxes in order to help families. I think there's some interesting, some interesting roads for the Republican Party. Sure. There. If if Trump loses, if Trump yeah. wins. I think then there's that, no need to change. <laughs> well, no, I think if Trump wins, I think that the Republican Party will be so tied to a, a this president in ways that the country has not seen maybe ever, uh, and in, in ways that will will uh, cement a legacy of Trumpism for a long time, right? So then we probably will have Don Jr. right in four years. If Trump is, you know, or maybe we'll have Trump for another three, another term, right? Because he'll say, I want another term, which he said multiple times. And we're going to negotiate a third term for him, for me, right? He said yeah. that. So, um, so, sorry, but I think, I think to, to convince people to vote for one candidate or the other, from what we've been talking about, what is necessary is a culture where fear is just an extreme factor. Like the most persuasive element is if you do not settle and vote for me, whether it's Trump or Biden, the other side will make things so terrible that this will just be an unrecognizable America that we can never salvage. Um, In your opinion, is there more at stake with this election than in one's past? Like, or do you think that the fear mongering has just Falling off the cliff. Uh, I think the fear mongering is overblown, right? You know, we last year we heard about the Flight 93 election. If you know what that term is, right? The Not flight. Really. So there was this big article written by this guy who said, "You know what Flight 93 is in the world at uh, the World Trade Centers?" Yeah, sorry. It, I think it was the plane that was going towards the White House. It was the Flight 93 where they okay. rushed the cockpit. Do you know that? Yeah. Do you know yeah. that one? Yeah. And so um, you know, there was a couple articles written in 2016, or one famous one saying, "This is the Flight 93 election. We need to." rush the cockpit or, and, and if it takes this crash in the plane, we'll have to crash it because um, the stakes are that high. The country is, you know, we're, we're going to die otherwise. It was four, it was a, it was a four Trump article. 
I think, and people are saying that again, I think that same guy wrote like that same article, but even more so, he's like, it's even more than the flight. Or even closer. Yeah, it's like the double 93 this time, right? (laughs) Because the the last time didn't fix it, right? They rushed the cockpit last time, they crashed the plane, and now, well, we're still flying, we got to crash it again. You know what I mean? I don't know. We just keep going Um, through the basement over and over. Yeah, and so um, I think that, I think that, that the fear mongering is overwrought. I do think that this is a probably a more important election than most. I, I agree with that, but I don't think that it is. I don't think that it is either the destruction of America or you know, or whatever 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 person that you happen to think is the devil incarnate. You know, which one of the two? So, um, uh, yeah, I don't. I, I do think it matters, and I think it will matter a lot. And I think people should should take this election very seriously. But um, yeah, I, I I think that the fear mongering is overblown. Uh, on maybe maybe on both sides a little bit. Um, I do think that the cult, the country has to start working sort of hard, and and in some really sort of yeah, and 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 on familiar ways to heal some of the divisions that we've created. I think that if we let this go on for longer and longer and longer, that the divisions of this country become so intractable that you know, that we may have to have something like a secession, which would be really sad someday, right? The breaking yeah. of America. Um, so I think, all, I think all of us need to start working against that hard, right? In our language, in our rhetoric, so in that, our reaching out to people on their sides and talking. That's my next question, right? There are things that you just traditionally, um, we've been told you, you do not talk about if you want to live at peace, right? It's like religion, politics, and sex or something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It seems like that is more the case now than ever. Why do you think that is that if you, I mean, it seems like that every single, every single thing has been turned into an identity marker. So if someone wears a mask, they're for Biden. If you're in a public place, you're not wearing a mask, you're for Trump. I, we even see it on the New York Times in class the other day. They even have where the, the New York Times will show you a picture and you guess whether it's a Trump fridge or a Biden fridge, right? So like your kitchen literally, you know, speaks of your political allegiance, or if you see someone with a Trump flag in their yard, it just seems like you know so much about what that person's character or identity is, even if maybe you really don't. This is a broad question, but what do you think it takes for us to live at unity with people who just disagree with us in politics, in so, the church? So I've got two, two, yeah. So one problem is everything has become so nationalized. I think that's a problem. You know, all of our politics are now national politics and everything is like intractable hatred division, right? Abortion, man, it's hard to have like, you know, there's not a lot of middle ground in abortion. It's tough, right? Uh, and so, like, you know, everything is just, just these intractable divisions um, where it sets, you know, and it's national. I, I would love it if the national politics took much less importance in our lives and we all focused on local politics and tried to, you know, I think everyone would be much happier in their lives. If the, if the federal government just sort of like did their thing less, just less of it. You know what I mean? And and just we're less intrusive in our lives. And then locally we figure stuff out. I mean, you know, there's a, I think a sort of a federalism, a stronger federalism, I think would be would be um would be useful to us. And then it's sort of a plea to people to get involved locally in their politics, right? To start paying attention to locally and less t- pay less attention to the national stuff, pay more attention to the local stuff. I think that would make everybody happier. I think that another thing is. I think that identity politics has seeped into both sides, right? Identity politics, um, you know, critical race theory, these things started on the far left and they have seeped into the middle 
And then the right saw them as being useful tools and now they've seeped in <clears throat> to the right. And so I think the tribalism of uh, that we see in the country today is in part of critical race theory and what I think is a very unhelpful thing. Um, and so uh, let me say it differently. I think critical race theory has brought up and shown us a lot of things that are really important, right? So I'm not totally against it, but some of the core beliefs, right? Of everything being about um, power and structure and, and, and opposition of the, of the powerful versus the, you know, the, the oppressed. I think some of that stuff is unhelpful and creates even more divisions and where you have to, you know, everyone has to have their own little categories, you know, based yeah. on whatever your, your sectionality is. And so, um, I think that that has seeped into sort of more than just the left now, right? The, the right is seeing themselves as a tribe that needs to be protected and they're the oppressed because by the liberal elites and the liberal media and that, right. And so the, the, you know, the critical theory of intersectionality has caused many divisions um, that, I mean, they were there, but it sort of cemented them into tribalism, which I think is destructive. And I think that people need to just work to say, um, you know, be willing. So there's, there's a couple of things. One, we need to think of, this is a Christian position. You need to think of the best of your opponent, right? Like what, you know, this person is not, you need to try, you need to try to take their, think best of them, put your, their best intentions in your mind, think of their, right? So instead of thinking, of, you know, for abortion debates, instead of thinking of this person like wants to literally kill babies, like that's their only goal is to kill babies. That's their desire. You know, right. like instead of think, okay, this person I'm talking with wants to, give you know financial and physical freedom to a woman who's in desperate situation right okay well that's a good thing right to give a person you know financial and, and physical freedom okay well now how can we sort of have debates about how can we have discussions about that good thing that doesn't involve killing fetuses you mean not fetuses, sure. killing babies right you know killing yeah. so um you know trying to think of uh having the putting the best argument of your opponent forward thinking giving them the best intentions um, trying to think well of them, even if even if it's hard, right? To 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 really, as a Christian discipline, try to think well of your opponent, even if it's hard to do, even if they're not doing it back, right? And so, enemy love, yeah, right, enemy love, right? And and, and even try not to think of them as enemies. But you're right, yeah. Even if they are an enemy, still think of them as enemy love, right? First, try not to think of them as enemy. Try to think of them your best and. Yeah. Um, offer yeah. the best arguments for them, offer them in their best lights, try to be sympathetic, think sympathetic listener, understand what they're saying, try to find ways to have unity. I mean, try to find at least some common ground and then have discussions and then have friendships. Don't just talk about politics, have friendships um, so that uh, people get to know one another beyond just the political and then they're willing to work together. So there was this guy named, I think it's Ben Sass. I think that's his name, this, this congressman, senator. He had this kind of, he, he had this whole article about how to reform the Senate. I think in the, I think it was in the journal, the Wall Street Journal. And one of the things he says, we, he, they want, he wants all the senators to live together in dorms. Right. And I was like, that's wow. a good idea. Yeah. Like a Republican and Democrat room together. <laughs> it's like, you're living together now. Have fun. Um, well, I've, uh, I've been recently just kind of inspired by the, the story of Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Justice Scalia. Yeah. Like just the friendship that they, that they had, even, I mean, incredible disagreement. All right. I know you got to run one, sure. one final, this is kind of fun. I thought I've, I've been seeing this post yeah. floating around social media. And it goes something like this. 
there was a man who was a ruler over a land who had incredible wickedness in his heart, who opposed so much morality, but the Lord was still able to use him in mighty and powerful ways. Thank God for King David. What, uh, what would you say to comparing King David to Donald Trump? I, I think King David immediately repented of his sins and his, and his, and his actions. Right. Um, I have no, I've seen no, I mean, let's think of, you know, Bathsheba, right? I mean, there was, there was repentance really quickly, pretty quickly there, right? When God called them out and it was, seemed like it was, it was deep and it was real and it was honest repentance. Um, if I were to see, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll say that is a difference between our current leader and David. Um, yep. That, that, yeah, that's, sure. that's what I would say. I just, I just thought that was uh, quite something. Let me say just one last thing, just sort of close off here. Um, that you can, I think that there can be Christians for this election could be voting for either side of the president election this time, right? I just want to say that, um, you know, people can, uh, the killing of a million babies every year is so horrifying to me that I can only do the only thing I can do is vote against that and vote for the person trying to stop that. Like that makes sense to me. Do you know what I mean? Like I, I get that position and I don't, I don't think that there's like repentance that needs to happen for someone who votes for that. Right. I also think that um, someone could vote for Joe Biden, right. A good, a good Christian could vote for Joe Biden and say, listen, uh, you know, there are refugee camps on the Southern border of the United States. Right. If we need to, if we wanted to care for the orphan and the widows and the downtrodden, we should not have refugee camps on the Southern border of the United States because you have to now apply for asylum in the country you enter. You mean, or, or you could say the culture of America is too important. We can't have someone who has, you know, severe character flaws um, as the leader, because that will lead to a culture of death. Right. I think, I think, so I think that that also is a possible voting option for a Christian. I, I just want to say that, you know, I, I, I think those are both possible and I, and I can understand why people are wrestling because I wrestled right, with those, those same questions. I think someone who doesn't vote could also be a good Christian and say, I can't vote for either one of these. And I'm going to have a protest to say, I want both the parties either to, you know, stop being so pro-abortion or put someone up with a decent character. Um, I think that's also um, a possible position. And um, I, here's the one last thing though. I do think that Christians need to be careful in whichever one of those they pick or, you know, right, to be very clear in their language and in their representation of like what it is about those positions that we are doing. So, you know, I have a hard time seeing, you know, good, faithful Christians, uh, you know, out there on the Donald Trump, you know, boat parades, waving their Trump flags and shouting the mega symbol, right? Because I'm like, listen, if you're going to, there is enough to be, to enough, to, there's enough to mourn about, about the character of Donald Trump. That if you if you have to do it for election for for abortion right if you, if it's like if there's enough there that you have to do a protest vote against the progressives or Marxism or social religious freedom that's fine, but just be very clear to people when you speak what you're doing right that I'm voting for abortion for religious freedom against uh, you know socialism and Marxism and it, it you know and I'm wounded about these other things that are really hard or same with Joe Biden if you vote for Joe Biden say. Hey, I'm voting for you know um, unity and for you know immigration and for the oppression of you know for the poor, and it breaks my heart for abortion, right? I think we just need like if we're going to be voting, we need to we need to be clear 
and our language that we say and how we represent ourselves, like, you know, the parts of the, these policies that we're voting for. Yeah, I like that a lot. Um, it's always a conversation, right? Like, I think, I think we fall into the trap so often of these false binaries where, where we see it in black and white and we choose one or the other. And I think, unfortunately, so much of our lives, I mean, when you have a Trump fridge or a Biden fridge, or you, or you know who someone votes for if they wear a mask or not, like, we make these easily identifiable factors. It, it just, it takes over our lives. And I think that's a place where the church really struggles to live in unity. Thanks so much for being with us this morning. Um, Thanks for having me. Yeah. Wish you peace as you try to decide who to vote for or if you're going to vote. And uh, look forward to talking again soon. Thanks. You do. Jim.